Welcome to Keeping the Nostalgia Alive show. This show is dedicated to documenting the past so the future can remember sports from Indiana and beyond. I'm your host, Billy Powell. This program is proudly brought to you by RainyT.com. RainyT is an Indiana company that's been around for almost 60 years. They sent me a couple of boxes of tea, and I don't get the jitters like I do with coffee. Don't get me wrong, I enjoy my coffee, but the tea has only half the caffeine of coffee and is amazing. Go to IraniTea.com and in a few clicks you'll be enjoying their high quality tea. Don't brew over it. Get some today. I run IndianaBasketballMemories.com and its Facebook fan page, Indiana Basketball Memories website. I also have an Indiana Sports Memories Facebook fan page. Please check them out and click like. On this show, we will have 26 episodes in each season. Please go to keepingthenostalgialive.podbean.com and follow or subscribe to our podcasts. If you are interested in being on the show or would like to suggest a guest or topic, please email me at billy at indianabasketballmemories.com. I have my Irene tea in hand, so let's get started. The goal of this program is to document and share sports memories from Indiana so that we all can learn, laugh, and relive those moments. Memories are precious and necessary for the future. We all need to help keep the nostalgia alive. What you drinking? I'm having a nice cup of Irene tea. I don't like tea. But this one will provide you a little bit of nostalgia. It's family-owned and operated in Indiana. Well, let me try some of that. Oh, that's pretty good. Where'd you get it from? I went to IraneT.com, and in a few clicks, it was at our front door. Welcome to Keeping the Nostalgia Alive show. I'm your host, Billy Powell. Our guest today really needs no introduction. If I did, his accomplishments, achievements, records, and awards would would take the whole show. Uh, While I was attending Broderpool High School, I remember being in the athletic director's office, and uh, the athletic director there was Gene Ring, who played his ball at Indiana University. And this gentleman from Imro Sporting Goods Company uh, came in the door and asked uh, for Gene Ring. And I told the nice gentleman that he had stepped out, and he said to me, do you mind if I just wait in his office? And I said, no problem. And after a little while, Gene came into the office, and uh, this gentleman and Gene talked for a little while and, and you know, took care of business, and he left. And I looked at uh, Mr. Ring, and I said, who was that? And he said, well, that was Rick Mount. Now, I had heard of Rick Mount through my dad, and my dad just hated sports with a passion. He just he just didn't understand it, didn't like it. But he had told me stories about Rick Mount. So if if my dad can tell stories about Rick Mount, you know how much of a legend this guy is. And he used to tell me stories about how he used to see him at the Indiana State Fairgrounds playing with the Indiana Pacers. And then fast forward about eight or nine years, and I'm the store manager at the finish line, which is an athletic uh, shoe store. And come walking across the window frame of the store was Rick Mountain. He came in my store 
and for several, uh, for a couple of years, I sold him several low-cut leather basketball shoes. Uh, Rick the Rocket Mount is my guest today. Well, Rick, welcome to the show. I really appreciate you taking some time from your busy schedule to share some of your stories of your outstanding and amazing career. Well, thanks, Billy. It's, uh, I always remember that finish line there. Sold me some shoes and some socks, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, that leaves it. I mean, I know this is going to be a goofy question to ask you first, but, uh, you know, I know you were offered a, a pretty good contract to, I think it was uh, 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 Pro Keds, but why did you always wear low-cut shoes? Well, uh, that's how stupid I was. <laughs> now, it uh, when I was coming out of college, I always wore Converse. Uh, canvas shoe, which most young kids uh, think it's a, it's a styling shoe now. It wasn't a basketball shoe. But uh, uh, Pro Keds uh, offered me $40,000 uh, to wear their shoe. And I wouldn't... Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take the contract because uh, I, I like Chuck Taylor so much that uh, I turned that contract down. Stupid me, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's not broke, if it's not broke, don't fix it, right? <laughs> well, yeah, but if you look back on it, forty thousand dollars <laughs> back then was quite a bit of money, and uh, they offered uh, uh, Pistol Pete Maravich and Dan Issel and myself and couple other uh, uh, college guys coming out that they you know had that new suede uh, pro kids <laughs> but uh, I didn't take the deal <laughs> and, uh, here's another here's another good one Dan Issel calls me up and says what are you crazy or something turning down $40,000 <laughs> to wear a pair of canvas shoes <laughs> uh, well Rick, we all know about your career at Lebanon, Purdue, and professionally, but tell us about your first introduction to the game and, and who you fashioned your game after and, and who you thought taught you the most about the game. Well, uh, you know, I always had the, the shot. Um, nobody ever taught me how to shoot. I think one of the reasons that I never picked up any bad habits because I always shot on a uh, on a uh, I made I made the rim and, oh, and on the back porch I shot uh, with a tennis ball at a young age because my dad um, he always um, spanked me with a um, with a with I got in trouble with him he always spanked me with a ping pong battle paddle instead of timeouts get in the corner that kind of stuff back then no <laughs> they switched your fanny and um, so I never picked up any bad habits because. He says, see that 10-foot basket, Rick? I said, yeah. See this big men's basketball? If I see you shooting in the, in the neighbor's basket, I'm going to spank your little butt. Like, <laughs> so he he made up a, a thing. With, it started out with a peanut can on the back porch, and then I made it in uh, with a coat hanger and a fishing net and a uh, looked like a basket, and I I shot on that for a long time, and never shot on a an eight foot basket. Uh, I mean a ten foot basket. I always shot on an eight foot basket with a volleyball. So I I think that was the big thing. Uh, I didn't pick up any bad habits. So uh, 
And people say, well, you're a natural. Well, I had the ability, but, you know, shooting on a, a 10-foot basket when you're very young, I could have picked up 10 bad habits in an hour. So that, that well, that's one thing that helped. Tell us about your high school career. Yeah, I, I mean – I mean, the stats don't lie that they're just uh, uh, crazy, crazy numbers that you put up. Well, who were some of your biggest competitors while you were in high school? And also take us into that last game when you cramped up a little bit. Do you think, do you feel like if you wouldn't have cramped up, you would have also had a state championship title to your name also? Well, you know, I, I think, and, and people always ask, who was your rival? And we always played Lafayette Jeff two or three times in the season. We'd play him in the season, and then we'd play him in the holiday tourney. And my senior year, we played him in the, in the final game of the regional. I always liked to play Lafayette Jeff because back then they had these three-quarter length robes with hoods on them, and they'd come running out and go around uh, the floor a couple times and, and – uh, and uh, then start warming up, take those robes off and start warming up. And my senior was playing them up there, and uh, they come rolling out of there with those robes on, and uh, they take they go around a couple times uh, the floor, and they take our basket. They start doing layups on our basket while we're doing layups. So... Um, uh, the rest of those guys wanted to fight them, you know, and that's what they wanted. They want to get in our head. And I said, nah, let's just go down to the other end. We'll, t- you know, I'll take care of it. <laughs> and I threw in 38 points and we beat them about 18 points. So, uh, I think Lafayette Jeff, I consider them, um, my, you know, our, our rival. And they had a guy named Denny Brady and Terry Stillbauer and, and plus Marion Crawley, and uh, Marion Crawley never, ever said a good thing about me in the paper, hardly, <laughs> I roll, and it always used to make me mad, so every time we played them, I wanted to drill them real bad. <laughs> uh, that brings me a good question, is, uh, you know, is that the kind of stuff that pumped you up for a game, or what was your thought process before a game in high school and college, or even professionally? I mean, what kept you focused, or what pumped you up to... Uh, to go on the tears that you did. Well, you know, I, you know, I had the building and the, the, you know, the shooting, and I'd get, I'd just get in those uh, zone A. You know, if you said something, people don't, you know, you say, well, he was in zone A tonight. He had like uh, nine out of ten jumpers in the fourth quarter or something like that. But you know, I was very in the locker room. I, I wasn't listen to music or raw, raw this. I was very uh, quiet and calm. I was, you know, it was building up inside. The edge was building up inside. See, I didn't go out and shoot before a game. I thought if I got that sweat, that sweat up, I'd lose that edge when I went back in the locker and then came back out. So, uh, you know, and then when I went out there, then I was ready to go, you know. But I wasn't... Uh, the raw, raw, raw guy type guy. It was always inside, but the confidence, but never that. Uh, we, we all know that you were the first high school basketball player to be on the front of a Sports Illustrated magazine. How did that come about, and how did how did that play out? 
Well, you know, I had the state. You know, everybody knew me around the state as one of the best players in the state. And so, oh, it was about, it was about these, about, oh, maybe right at the first of the year, January. Um, I was in sixth hour class. I had a study hall then. Teacher says, Coach Rosenstein wants to talk to you out in the hall. I said, okay. <clears throat> so I go out there, and he says, uh, I just talked with Frank DeFord. And, and people now, he was he's a famous he was a famous guy, but then he was a beat writer for Sports Illustrated. And uh, he says, uh, talk with Sports Illustrated, and they want to put you on the cover of Sports Illustrated and do a big article on you uh, uh, here in uh, Lebanon. He says, what do you think of that? I said, well, don't want to do it. <laughs> he says, you're going to do it. <laughs> like that. He, he says, why don't you want to do it? And at that point, we were having a little bit of uh, jealousy problems, you know. And here comes Sports Illustrated in, and they're doing a big article on me, and, the you know, the teammates are getting left out, that kind of stuff, you know. And that's one of the reasons I didn't want to do it. But like Coach Rowan still says, you're going to do it. It <laughs> doesn't matter what you say. So uh, so we did it. And um, it turned out, you know, they were here for two weeks. And and uh, this guy named Frank DeFord was around me. And, and you, probably, you know, he was, he's a famous guy now. And um, <clears throat> they took hundreds of pictures. And that's how it all got started uh, on the on the Sports Illustrated thing, and and, uh, it, and people always come and say, well, we were in Florida today, you know, on vacation, or we're in Arizona on vacation, and we stopped at a, um, at a gas station or whatever, and they see, uh, where are you from? And they say, from Lebanon, Indiana, and you said. Do you know Rick Mount? <laughs> they get that all the time. <laughs> so what, what so that's the, how it all got started with Sports Illustrated. It put Lebanon on the map because these New Yorkers that came in here thought we were a hick town. Well, we, we were. <laughs> I mean, we were a hick town, but who cares, you know? We were just a farm community, you know? So uh, it was fun. Where did that shoot take place? Was that actually your uh, the basketball goal in the background, or where did that shoot take place? No, that was outside of town. I always remember this. It was really cold, and uh, it was oh maybe a couple miles outside of town. And Coach Rosen still came to uh, came got me out of class. Says we're going out and take the the cover of uh, of the article. And I said, man, it's cold out there. And he says, I just go get your, these were real warm-ups. He says, just, you know, just wear your underwear and, and your T-shirt and put that, those those sweats over, over that. And so, you know, your clothes won't be showing. It'll be just, you know, your sweat, you know, look like you're getting ready for a game or whatever, you know. And I said, boy, it's going to be cold. He said, it won't take very long. You know, I'll just do it. And you could sit, you know, you could sit in the car or whatever. I bet they took 
<laughs> I ran up and down that uh, that uh, that long lane there before you get to the barn. It, we were out there three hours, and I bet I ran up and down that lane about 400 times, and I'm freezing. And for them to take the, the cover pic, um, picture for the Sports Illustrated, so uh, that's how they got this, the the cover. How much how much time passed before um, the actual uh, issue came out? Well, it wasn't very long because it was in February. If I remember, if, I can't remember the exact date. It was around the fifteenth or you know, it was about middle of February when it came out. They got all that done. They were they were here. Well, they they were here in uh, in January. Yeah, and at, about a month. You know, I think they left about middle of January, and and uh, the article came out in uh, middle of February. So when you got when you got that copy of Sports Illustrated, what what was your what was your thought process or what uh, what was your initial reaction to seeing yourself on the cover of Sports Illustrated? It, you know, it it didn't. I, I was back then. I was just kind of ah, I see it. Okay, that's fine. Okay, now go we'll go and play. It was that kind of thing. It didn't even realize how big uh, article. Uh, that was or that big an honor till you know when you get out of high school and in later days you you look back and say man that was a big thing you know so really right off when I saw it oh that's fine yeah that's good you know and uh, my first remark was my girlfriend uh, then now uh, 45 years I've been married to her she's been my wife for 45 years I said she get more, and she was getting more ink than I was in the article. <laughs> That's <laughs> my first remark. <laughs> so, but you know, you know, when you're a six, uh, well, eighteen year old kid, it's you just everything's going. You know, you, you don't really realize how big a deal that was. And then you got Frank DeFord, that that was the beat writer that was right doing all this, and he. Uh, a very famous person now, you know, it, it was just kind of, uh, uh, a neat thing. Do you think you, you, you actually maybe helped push Frank DeFord's career along a little bit because of, uh, that spread? Help uh, put two around. Uh, Frank DeFord. Excuse me you, on you, it. Yeah, that's okay. Oh, Frank DeFord. Um, yeah, I don't think so. Uh, Frank was, Frank DeFord was going to be, uh, a big deal anyway. You could just tell the way he, he presented himself and uh, class guy he was and things. So, and he was, uh, out of, you know, out of New York and things like that. You knew he, he was going to be something. Rick, when did the, the college scouts and college coaches first start knocking on your door? And can you remember the first one that came to you? Yeah, um, the first guy... It was right after my freshman year, the summer, right after my freshman year. Rosie said, I, uh, there's a coach uh, that is at my house right now, and he wants to come out and visit with you a little bit at my house. And so a guy named Bruce Hale, he was uh, a coach at Miami University, Florida. And he coached Rick Barry 
and Rick Barry, his daughter married Rick Barry. That and so um, he was the first guy, you know, that uh, that visited me, and and he talked for about an hour, and, and uh, went on his way. And every summer he'd be back, you know. And so uh, he he was the first guy, and and, and then he brought uh, he brought a guy. It was going to be my junior year, the summer of my junior year. This was a good story. And the guy owned Mama Leone's restaurants in uh, in New York. He brought this guy with him, and uh, we visited. And Rosie was there too in my backyard. We're sitting there in lawn chairs. Rosie found out that this guy knew uh, Power Memorials coach real well. And you know, Power Memorial had Lou Alcindor, which was Kareem Abdul Jabbar. And those older coaches back then, they were they were coached, they were teach, you know, they taught basketball, but they were promoters too. And so, you know, the wheels start turning, and, he, and Coach Rosedale, he's 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 question this guy you think you could get uh you think you could talk him into bringing power memorial the butler field house and and led them playing them this next year and he says well i say i get that done that guy said <laughs> so uh, the guy called him back in about a week and says uh yeah power memorial come play Ledman at butler field house it'll be mount against lou alcindor <laughs> and Rosie's like, whoa, man. you know, we're going to make some money on this. <laughs> and uh, we got the okay from the IHSAA. Because then you couldn't, uh, high school teams couldn't uh, couldn't leave the state and play or bring schools in. And, but we got the okay. But a guy named Jimmy Angelopoulos, with the old Indianapolis Times, there was three papers in the Star, the Times, and the News. And Jimmy Angelopoulos wrote for the Times. He wrote in there, well, if Lebanon can play Power Memorial, then um, Howe could play him, or Tech could play him, or Lafayette Jeff could play him. And I won't mention the guy, the, the commissioner's name, but he backed out about two weeks before the game. Rosie had all the tickets printed and everything, and he backed out on us. And uh, the game never, we never had the game. But Rosie was going to, you know, you have 18,000 people there. I guarantee it would be sold out, and he was only going to charge a dollar. <laughs> but a dollar, he, he owes eighteen thousand dollars. Uh, uh, Butler was going to take take the concessions, and we were going to take the eighteen thousand. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I think so that, that that never panned out. Yeah, I think on that uh, Miami team, I think there was another Mister Basketball, Rick Jones, and I think Junior G from uh, Bagoti was uh, played for Hill, also correct. Yeah, I think those guys went down there, and a guy named Kernut that played at Tipton was on the All-Star team, and uh, uh, there was quite a few guys that went down there, yeah. So is the University of Miami the closest that you would have worn their jersey besides a Boilermaker jersey? No, you know, um, 
there was uh, people were so disappointed that I signed to go out of state that I walked in a baseball game at Lebanon to go watch a game. And the London people wouldn't even, they snubbed me. <laughs> they wouldn't even <laughs> talk to me. <laughs> they were so disappointed. And um, and so I always remember this. I was playing outdoor tournaments, and we had a team from Lebanon. And um, it was getting close to the Big Ten letter. You had to, if you didn't sign a Big Ten letter in about – a couple of days, then you couldn't you couldn't uh, sign with a uh, with a, a Big Ten team because the national letter intent Miami University didn't honor that. So if I left there, I would have to sit out a year. So Rosie, one day, I was out the outdoor court, and he says, you know, the Big, the Big Ten. Uh, uh, signing is uh, only a couple. You got to sign a Big Ten letter. Uh, it's only a couple days away. And he had he had Indiana's and he had Purdue's. He had Indi- uh, Purdue's in his right hand and Indiana in his left hand. And he says you need to sign one of these just ca- just in case you change your mind during the summer. So here he he, he just kind of here's Indiana's. And he stuck his, he extended his arm out, and here's producers. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I signed that, and about middle way through the summer, I, I changed. It was the hardest thing for me to do is call Bruce Hale up because heck of a nice guy, and he was the first guy to uh, come see me. And I, I went ahead and stayed it and signed with Purdue. And uh, everything worked out pretty good. Where were you when you got the announcement that you had been choice, chosen as uh, Indiana Mr. Basketball? And what was your thought process through that? I uh, was in uh, in class. And again, Rosie came down, <laughs> came down to the class and got me out. And, went, and, and uh, when I went out in the hall, he says, congratulations, you're Mr. Basketball. And I said, okay, <laughs> you know, you know, it, it, it one thing about Indiana All Stars. I thought was the best thing about, I don't know, you're playing for your state and stuff, and you're Mister Basketball was the blind fund. I mean, if you look at it now, how they're only drawing a couple thousand at Louisville and and uh, four thousand at uh, in Indiana. Back then, we had 18,000 at Butler Fieldhouse, and then Freedom Hall was full, about 20,000. That's a lot of money that we made for the Blind Fund, that charity. So we we had probably 38,000 people paid for to see those two games together. Wow. But you can see where it's gone, though. It's almost... It's just almost not there anymore. I mean, they're really struggling to to, to draw people, and I, you know, I, I think it's a lot of AAU basketball and things like that. There's so much other things going on in the summer, but you know, for for a week out of your summer, you know, 
I just can't, can't believe they can't draw uh, for that that uh, charity anymore. Any uh, fond memories you have of either one of the uh, games against Kentucky? No, not really, because they beat us both times. <laughs> I had, you know, 23 points at Butler, and that played a pretty good game. But uh, uh, we didn't. We on paper we looked good, but really uh, we didn't. We didn't play well together. Uh, and uh, Angus Nickerson was uh, wasn't the coach. Uh, a guy named Cleon Reynolds, and uh, and it, it just wasn't very organized with him as a coach and we didn't have a, a good system in in place and and Kentucky was good too now let's go ahead now, the only thing I, I I you know the only thing I I went back home and I, what I got out of it is all that money we made for a charity very nice what was so you, it's your first day on campus at Purdue and of course, you you could only play freshman ball because freshmen couldn't play on varsity. Uh, what did you What did you find was the biggest difference between high school high school basketball and college basketball? And take us into that that first game that you the freshman team played against varsity, and you know the arena was packed. Well, you know there wasn't that much difference. You know, uh, um. I was, I could still, you know, I could jump up over every, anybody and shoot the basketball. So, uh, whatever, but yeah, you know, just being on a big campus and, uh, and, uh, it was different, but the thing is I was only about 45 minutes away from home. If I wanted to go home, I could, uh, but basketball wise, you know, you know, you're, I knew I I could if a freshman could play it I'd be starting playing right then but I had to sit out a year that was the big thing that kind of bothered me and I always remember this that that place held about nine thousand some almost ten thousand and we're playing uh, you could only play three other schools back then they only let you play three other schools we played Northwestern. And a couple other schools, but you could. We played thirty games, but we'd play independent teams, uh, uh, fraternities, this kind of stuff, and all that stuff. And <clears throat> and uh, it was kind of. It wasn't. It was a little bit boring. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you know you wanted to be out there playing. I could play. You know, on the varsity right now and be scoring. And I'm playing uh, independent teams, and you know I always remember this. The pennant was a was the newspaper for the uh, the school newspaper, and uh, Bob Greasy's a great guy. He 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 played the year before with in '66 with uh, with Dave Shellhouse, and he played on the varsity, but he he wasn't playing on the varsity his senior year. And I opened the pennant up, and it says, Bob Greasy will hold Rick Mount tonight, to blah, blah, this, you know. <laughs> and I'm saying, okay, we'll find out. I bet he really is, you know, tonight. <clears throat> and I threw in 40-some points on on a he, he was trying. <laughs> but he was a great football player. He was a really good basketball player, but he wasn't ready for me <laughs> that night. So... So, but that kind of stuff, and then 
uh, we played before the varsity games. Nothing against the varsity. They had a decent team. I think they finished about six in the Big Ten. Um, so we'd play before the varsity game, and there was sold out, sold out, and and then when the varsity, I, we'd go, I'd go shower and go out there and watch the varsity game, and when uh, when the game started, they announced uh, the attendance, and it was three thousand less than what we played in front. Of. So uh, some of the Purdue fans were leaving when the varsity game started. But I, I was about thirty-seven points a game on the, on the freshman team, but it, it wasn't the same as playing on the varsity at that point. And then I could have had a lot more points <laughs> if I'd have played as a freshman. <laughs> tell tell us about that uh, your your sophomore year and and that Big Ten season. Uh, uh, I, I know your junior year was a year that you guys uh, went to the final game against uh, Lou Alcindor and UCLA, but uh, tell yeah. us a little bit about your sophomore year and getting acclimated to the game and, and any memories that stand out in your sophomore year. Well, you know, the dedication game. Um, the problem was it, it um, about, oh, I'd say three, three weeks before uh, the game, I went up for a layup and, and stress fractured my left foot, fifth metatarsal. So I, they put me in a cast for, uh, oh, about a week and um, and didn't look like I was going to, you know, play. So Doc Combs, the, the, the team doctor, uh, Bob King called me in the, into the office. Bob King was a great guy and he was a, the guy, he was assistant coach, but he was the guy that got everybody out of trouble. Well, I got to go and see professor so-and-so today about your grades, you know, or something like that, and, and give us a chewing out or whatever. And so uh, um, he says, Doc, he, he called me in and right after classes were over, and he says, don't go down to practice uh, go over and see Doc Combs. I said, okay. So Doc Combs says, here's what we're, I go over to the, the hospital, the university hospital there. Where is that? And he says, here's what we're going to do, Rick. We're, you're going to play. <laughs> he says, I got a broken foot. He says, you're going to play. I said, okay. Well, okay. You know, I'm up for anything, you know, because I'm young and I can, I, I can play. And uh, he says, we're going, we're going to take you out of this cast. We're going to put you uh, aluminum inner sole in your canvas Chuck Taylors. <laughs> in your left foot in your left foot he said I think it'll work it'll keep it from uh, laterally moving but you can go straight ahead with your left foot so here it is and I want you to go back over there right now and I want you to practice and see how it does and so uh I go over there and, you know, aluminum inner sole. <laughs> so it's a full length. And uh, he, um, 
and he says, tell Coach Bob uh, how it feels. He'll be down there to practice. It worked good. I, it, I just couldn't move laterally with my left foot, which that's what they wanted. <clears throat> I could with my right foot because it was good. So, uh, but I every time I went up on my toes, the aluminum would bend. It'd be like a rocker, <laughs> you know, kind of rocker. And I said, it's kind of like a rocker because when I go up on my toes to jump, um, it bends. So he says, okay. So they cut, they cut the toe part out of it, out of the aluminum intersole. And he says, how does it feel now? It still is going to hold you laterally, you know. And I said, that feels a lot better. I can get at least I can get up on my toes. So I played with a broken foot uh, half the season, and uh, that's how that dedication game started for me. And well, even and I averaged twenty seven. About 27, 26 points a game with a broken foot in the first half of the season. And uh, I played against UCLA with a broken foot. I I felt that if I didn't have that broken foot, we'd have beat them. We almost beat them anyway. Because we had a good team. You know, you had Keller and Gilliam and Babis and, and, uh, and guys like that. You know, and we, we had a pretty good team. And uh, so that's... In that dedication game, that thing was, if the fire marshal, uh, <laughs> I, he, he could have really nailed Purdue because there were people standing in the, in the, in the aisles and he, he held 14,123. There was probably 16,000, 17,000 in that place. And uh, that's how it all got started. And, uh, and then, uh, see, we couldn't go to the, the NCAA because this the winter could go because they had 32 teams. Right. See that you know they had the situation they got now back then. I'd have been in the NCAA three years in a row, but uh, that's that's how it all got started. And and uh, we had I think we only lost in the three years that I played there. We only lost three games at Mackey. And that was to UCLA. You know, New Mexico State and Iowa. That's a pretty good record. And the fans were, the, I mean, they were the best. I mean, <laughs> you know, they, now they wanted to put armchair seats in there and they can just sit back and watch the game. Boy, with those straight bent, you know, straight seats, those old-time seats, man, you, you wanted to get up because your butt was uh, cramping up and stuff like that sitting there. So uh, they were great fans. So, so big expectations for your junior year, and kind of take us through your junior year and, and, and through the tournament and any stories that you have. Well, you know, if, if you would have told me, asked me, or told me, says, hey, you guys are going to be in the national championship game, I would have said, you're crazy. Because at this point, we had a lot of jealousy problems. And... Um, and so we go to we go to Phoenix, Arizona. We're playing in the rain, uh, not, not rain. We're playing in the Sun Devil Classic. Then after the Sun Devil Classic, this is over Christmas. We're going on out to the Rainbow Classic. Flight from there, you know, going on out and playing back-to-back tournaments. So we're staying at the Camelback Inn 
and people might have stayed there, but I don't know if you know what the camel. They're little in the desert there. They're little um, rooms, uh, little houses built out there like a room, and uh, you stay in those. So um, George Faber, <coughs> he uh, he said, I, "Hey, I gotta go someplace, uh, Rick. I'll be back in a bit." I said, "I'll go with you." He said, "No, no, 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 no. I, 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 I gotta go." So I said, okay. So um, go down the. So I go out on the little porch, and um, the uh, I look down oh, about six or seven of those little houses down there, and the team's coming out of there. I said, wait a minute. I must be. I think I'm on the team. Why? Why are they having a meeting without me? <laughs> so um, the manager comes down there. I said, "What's going on?" And he says, "Ah, nothing." I said, well, "Hey, what's going on, man? If it's something about me. If it's something about me, I'll be knowing about it. Yeah, the team's beating, and I, I and I'm part of the team, right?" <laughs> He says, well, we just we, we were voting on whether to pass you the ball the rest of the season or not. <laughs> I said, is that right? Is that right? So what what'd you guys decide? <laughs> he says, we voted to pass you the ball. I said, you made a good decision, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> so, so you can see where we're headed, uh, you know. But when we came back from the Rainbow Classic, we were around each other. We got to liking each other a little bit more. <laughs> so everybody fell into a role, you know what I mean? And so we started out the Big Ten, and we just went, mowed right through that Big Ten and went all the way to the to the final game, and, and that's how the junior year. Uh, but that vote, if they voted not to pass me the ball, we might not have made it there. <laughs> so... But we did. They're a bunch of good guys. They, you know, you know, just a, a jealousy jumps in there on teams. You know. And and what and was the jealousy factor? I know it's probably something that you thought about a lot. Did Did you think about that on the court? And and you think that you would have scored more <clears throat> if you wouldn't have spread the ball out? But you felt like you had to spread the ball out, or how how? Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? Well, see, the fun, the funny thing about this is. We're scoring 94 points a game, Billy. Now, wait a minute. If we were scoring 50 points a game and I was averaging 37, uh, uh, 33 points a game, that's a different story. We're averaging 94 points a game. We're leading the country in scoring. So I'm, a, I'm averaging 33 points a game. There's another, what, 60-some points. Somebody's got to make up, right? <laughs> so I didn't. I never got that logic they were trying to give me. <laughs> now, do you, so, think, do you think that if uh, the three-point line? I have a uh, a friend who just idolizes you, and uh, he's on my page and uh, does a lot of insight and adds a lot of uh, good uh, information. His name's Danny Shoecraft. He played for Lafayette Central Catholic and was a state champion. But his question uh -huh. would be: His question would be: Do you think you guys would have won the national title against UCLA if there would have been a three-point line? Um, see, we lost Big Chuck Davis in the Mid-East Regional. He was a seven-foot guy, uh, pretty good size, pretty thick guy. He always played Lou Alcindor really good. 
because his weight, he kind of kept him from just laying it in, you know. And he made him shoot the sky hook. So uh, um, he got hurt in the Mideast Regional. We lost him. So and if you, if you, you probably, you know, you got Lou Alcindor, Curtis Rowe, and Sidney Wicks up front. Now, that might be the all-time best front line ever. Right. And so um, we got a guy that was 6'9". Our backup center was 6'9", and weighed about 155. <laughs> well, maybe 185, pushing it. <laughs> so um, he couldn't handle Big Lou. I don't know if if the three-point line, that, that was his last varsity game. We thought we, thought we could beat him because um, earlier, let's see, the first, first game of the season – we went out there at Pauley Pavilion. They only beat us five out there. So um, at Pauley Pavilion, so um, uh, we, took, you know, we were pretty, we were good. We figured when we stepped on the court, we could beat anybody. So, um, but Lou just dominated our center. You know, every time he got the ball, he was layup, 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 layup. You know, so um, but you know, it probably not that game, but I think the three-point line uh, was would have been good for me because I would have probably scored 10 more points a game. Right. I'd have probably had 10 threes a game. Easy. Yeah. There's a there's a great photo of uh, uh, Lou Alcindor coming over to you, and it looks like uh... – He's either telling you a good game or a nice try or whatever. What? Yeah. What was? Uh, what are your feelings of Lou Alcindor? And did you have any interaction with John Wooden? And what did he say to you? No, not really. Uh, Lou, <clears throat> at that time, you know, I hate. I hate. It, it, it wasn't because I was not a good sportsmanship or whatever. You hate losing. If if you beat us. Don't come over to me and, and try to shake my hand. I don't want that right now. I'm thinking about a way that next time we play, we're going to kick your butt, you know, <laughs> at that point. But he came over there, and I shook his hand, and he didn't say much. He just, you know, I mean, he's got the national championship. <clears throat> and so, uh, and John Wooden, whoever was sitting over it, I, I was really, I never heard the crowd. People say, Hey, did you hear us cheering last night? And I said, never heard you. Said, no kidding, you don't. Uh, that's how focused I was. So I didn't care, you know, if Johnny Williams is a great coach and a great man, but I didn't care who was sitting over there. I, you know, I, it didn't matter to me. You know, I knew what I had to get done. So <clears throat> um, for a big-time coach like John Wooden sitting over there, I was thinking about the game, you know, getting ready to start. Now your senior year, you had you you broke the Big Ten scoring record for a single game, and once again, if we tie in that three pointer, you would have probably done <laughs> you probably scored seventy four or seventy five points if you, if anybody's seen the shot charts. Um, was were you just were you just on fire that night, or how did that work out? Billy, I was in zone A the whole game. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I was. They took a chart. I was. From the three-point line, I was 13 for 20, and uh, 
from the see thirteen for twenty uh fourteen for uh twenty seven 14 for, yeah 14 for 27 from the two point line so i was 27 for 47 and all i remember that he said man some some guy that was that would have been 74 points and and, he, and that's the most i ever, ever most i ever put up cuz uh, i averaged about uh, 27 28 shots a game which is not out of line for the way i could shoot it you know a game. And uh, the guy said, man, you must have been a real selfish ball hog. <laughs> and I said, no, you know how much talent that takes to get 47 shots up against Iowa. <laughs> and I hit 27 of them. That's way over 50%. And the guy says, well, uh, now I, thinking about it, yeah, you wasn't a ball hog. <laughs> so, but but that three point line, uh, if if that was in, I would. They'd only beat us one. They'd beat us one hundred eight to one hundred seven um, at Mackey. Shoot, we'd have beat them by twenty five if they'd had the three point line. Tell me about and, your. Tell me about your knack for knowing if the rim is tight or needs adjustment. <laughs> well, um, we went down to the IU, and I, that one was easy. It was it was down on the right side. But we went to Louisville. We went in there on uh, on Wednesday night, Wednesday to shoot around because back then you played on Thursday and Saturday, not. Uh, uh, Saturday and Monday, and so uh, we walk out there, and they just put them up. They uh, they, they just put them, the freedom all. They just put the rims up, and uh, I said, I told Coach King, I said, that rim's off down there, <laughs> and I said, you better tell that guy. And he's, <laughs> so King goes down there. And he says, Mount says that that rim's off. It's sitting down on the right-hand side. And uh, the guy says, you tell Mount he's full of manure. I'll, I'll say that. I won't say the, the four-letter word. I'll say manure. He says, you tell him he's full of manure. And George came down there and was laughing. He says, that guy says you're full of manure. I said, well... You tell him to put that level back up on there, and we'll see who's full of manure. Because I've shot thousands and thousands of jump shots on rims. I know when they're straight and level. He put it back up there, and it was it was off. <laughs> and the guy apologized to me. <laughs> so as many shots that I had taken, you know, up to then, I don't know, it could have been millions. I don't know. You know, it just, uh, I was really feeling good about myself because he, he said I was full of manure and he wasn't going to do it. And I said, why don't you, what, are you scared? You know, okay, I got like that. And he put it on there. So that's, it just, I just had a knack from knowing if they were level or not. And if they're not level, you know, you might get a bad roll. So. 
Rick, when, when you uh, left Purdue and you, you start your professional career, did you kind of have the same philosophy that we talked about on you uh, staying in the state of Indiana to play your college ball? Did you did you feel a little pressure to go with the ABA? Or did you pick the ABA, or did the uh, or did the ABA pick you? Well, um, Mike Storn was the general manager, and uh, <clears throat> he wanted me. And back then, see, I I, I signed before the NBA draft, so uh, I never got you know. Well, I did get drafted in the seventh round because the Lakers wanted to just go ahead and draft me just in case I wanted to jump league. They'd have the rights to me. But they got me in – the Pacers got me in a territorial draft. And uh, the problem was that Mike Storm wanted me and Bobby, Bobby Leonard said no. He had his team. He didn't want Rick Mount coming into, into his team, you know, which, you know. So it was kind of a wrong place, wrong time type thing, you know what I mean? So they got me, I don't know how he did it, but they had a territorial draft. So they took me number one in the territorial draft. And and so uh, that intrigued me. I, I You know, the ABA didn't intrigue me as much as the NBA because that's all I, you know, I wanted to do is, is play in the NBA. But what intrigued me was staying home. You know, I could live in Lebanon, and I could drive to Indianapolis every day, you know, for practice and, and hit the airport and things like that. So <clears throat> that's that's what happened there. Uh, tell us a little bit about your your, your Pacer days. Uh, uh, what was it like? And, and uh, um, you were on one of the ABA championship teams, correct? I was on uh, the 72 uh, team, and then uh, I got, you know, uh, traded because I was wanting traded. And uh, in 73, you know, 72, I averaged about 15 a game um, and played on the, the, champ, the championship team because uh, we had Mel Daniels. Mel Daniels was the key to that. Um, those rings came from Mel Daniels because Mike Storm traded for Mel Daniels, fired Staverman, and brought Leonard in on Mel Daniels' coattail. And without Mel Daniels, they don't win those championships. And, you know, you can you can call me up, you can write me nasty letters, but Mel Daniels was the key. And uh, <clears throat> so in 73, um, uh, I went to Kentucky, and this is really a funny story. Every time Kentucky would call up, and that was my rookie year, is Storm say, is Mount available? You're not playing him, so is he available? <laughs> we want him. And he says, well, you give up Louis Dampier and uh, uh, Dan Issel, and we'll make a trade or something like some stupid thing, you know? And so uh, – so in between in the summer of 72, 73, it was uh, all about the uh, end of July. Mike Storm called me up and says, uh, we got you. You're coming to Kentucky. And I said, oh, Leonard finally, uh, he finally uh, agreed, huh? 
he he laughed. He said, "No, here's how we got you." He says, uh, "Nedelicki, they were going to trade Nedelicki to Dallas. Uh, Leonard was going to trade Nedelicki to Dallas, and I called my buddy out at Dallas and says, get him to throw Rick Mount in with that trade.'" And then you send him to Kentucky because Leonard won't won't trade with us on Mount. And so Leonard threw me in with Nedelicki on that deal, and I went right to right to Kentucky, <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I got there. And Leonard called him up and cut him out for thirty minutes. <laughs> 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 Mike Storm for pulling the wool over his eyes, see. And then we went to the finals. You know, I've I've been in the finals two years in a row. And um, the Pacers beat us in seven, which we had them, and we let them get off the hook because McGinnis at at Louisville had a great – he had 40 points and 17 rebounds against us that final game. So, uh, you know, I I played at Utah uh, because they changed ownerships at Kentucky. I was in the finals again. Three years in a row, and then uh, with Utah Stars, and then Memphis. I was probably having uh, my best. Well, Kentucky, my best playoff because I averaged in 27 points a game in the playoffs when I was with Kentucky, and and then uh, at Memphis before I got a separated shoulder after the first 12 games. I was leading the league in, in, in three-point shooting at 67%, 52% from the two-point area, average about 21 points a game and playing 42 minutes. And even don't, don't fall off your chair. I was, I was in the eighth in the assist in the league. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, and then I, uh, jumping Joe Caldwell ran into me and separated my shoulder and that, was in that for the year. I, I came back and played five games, and uh, it, it wasn't ready. And it, so I, 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 uh, I, well, I reseparated a little bit. So, but I played five years in ABA, and and you're right. The the reason I went in ABA is because I could live in live in Lebanon, and but it was fun. Any time, any time in that five years that you were the ABA that you possibly could have jumped ship and went to the NBA, or were there any offers for you for the for the NBA, or did you just you know you know what I'm going to be loyal, I'm going to stay with the ABA? No, you know uh, I, I was kind of loyal. I, I've always been kind of loyal, a person like that, and uh, and as long as the, the league, I had a chance to go to play uh, after the '76 folded up and. And then uh, a guy named Gary Donna uh, uh, got me a, a, a gig at uh, with the Houston Rockets, but I've been out for a few, you know, a few years and getting on those planes and stuff just didn't turn me on very much anymore. So that kind of ended that. Uh, what was it like to watch your son play basketball at Lebanon and and his career? Well, you know, I I didn't really go to a lot of games. I was, you know, playing, you know, but when you got to go watch, like, your son play, I couldn't handle that real well. It made me too, really too nervous. 
You know, you can't do anything about it. You're sitting up there and you can't do anything about it. And uh, I just didn't go. Uh, and, uh, you know, you get these, uh, even Lebanon people were, were, I'd be sitting down there and they'd be yelling at me and stuff. <laughs> the Lebanon people. So I said, instead of fighting everybody in this gym, I'm not going and I'm not going to go into any more games. So I didn't go many of his games. Of course, of course, you were Indiana Mr. Basketball and Indiana All-Star. Your son was an Indiana All-Star. I hear you have a grandson named Jordan. Does he have uh, uh, any of the mountain game? Yeah, he's got, he's got, he can shoot it. He's getting, he's about six, two and a half right now. He's a late mature, like, like I was and, and, and Rich was. So he, uh, he can handle the ball real well. He, 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 he led the, I think he led the reserve team last year at 16 points a game. So he'll be a junior this year. So I think he's ready to go. Uh, Rick, what do you do now? Well, right now, you know, for since 1970, I've always taught shooting at 44 years, and and I had my Rick Mount Shooting School for 30 years now. So uh, I'm still doing those. Uh, uh, still got there, knocking them down. The the kids, uh, the, the young kids, don't know who I am, but their fathers and their grandfathers have told them all about it. So when I knock down 92, 93 out of 100 jumpers, they go, they were right. <laughs> so uh, just shooting camps, and I'm semi-retired. In the wintertime, I do some hunting and fishing. Well, I don't do any fishing. It's too cold, but I do uh, deer hunting, turkey hunting, things like that. Too. Do, you, do you have a website that people can go to for for your shooting camps? Yeah, rickmountshootingschool.com. Um, I, I have one other question for you, and uh, I'll tell you that uh, uh, I run a Facebook page called Indiana Basketball Memories website, and I also have the, the actual website. And the, the love and respect that when I post a picture of you that you get, I just want you to know that it's enormous, and uh, there the people out there really, you, you are a legend. But um, well, uh, you know one thing about it, Billy, when the when the people start calling you a legend, what does that mean? You're getting old. <laughs> you're getting old. <laughs> no, I, I know where you're coming from. Yeah. Uh, but where did you get the nickname the Rocket? And also, I hear I also hear that uh, you're going to have heart surgery. Is it is it serious? Is it something that'll be simple? Uh, uh, kind of let us know. Yeah, you know. Um, I've had, you know, the rocket, uh, my uh, father-in-law named me that back in high school because I had that high arching shot. And uh, I've had, it's called AFib, uh, and uh, I had, I've had i had this since I was 50. I think Larry, I might be wrong, but I, I heard he had the same thing. A lot of athletes have it. You know, it's just where your heart jumps out of rhythm. It's an electrical system thing. So uh, I've had it since 50 and, you know, and then come back for nine years and blah, blah, this. And now at 67, it won't stay in rhythm. You know, they shock you, you know, they put you under and, and cardio version, you know, and it brings it back into rhythm. Now it's not. So now I got to have this procedure done uh, uh, September 5th 
guy named Dr. Olson, Jeffrey Olson, is going to be the guy. I hope he's got a steady hand. <laughs> but uh, uh, I'm going to have this procedure done. It takes about four to six hours, and it makes it uh, back. It, it, it heals that. So, uh, uh, so that's where I'm at right now. Well, Rick, I appreciate you spending an hour with us. Uh, um, I think this will be a little, um, a lot of insight for uh, a lot of people out there to really enjoy. And, and I really thank you from the bottom of my heart. It's, it's been a pleasure to uh, uh, spend some time with you chatting about the nostalgia okay. of your career. Okay, Billy, good time with you. Hey, you, you got any free shoes or anything in your garage that you got from Fish Line that I could have? <laughs> I'll say Thank you very much. Okay, Billy, thank you. Uh, uh, bye-bye.